What's up, everything? You know what? No. This is wrong. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Two Guys One Cup podcast. It is Thursday, November tenth, just an hour before Veterans Day. A day off for me, weirdly, which I don't think it's been in the past. But whatever. I'm here in hurricane-torn Florida, where the winds whipped through today, and the rain spat in my face in the morning, and that was about it. And uh, I do have a house guest though, whose house flooded, so that's you know it could be worse, I suppose. Sucks to be him. Uh, Ian, <laughs> you're joining me from St. Louis, where I assume there have been no hurricanes. How are you joined today? That's right. Despite my name, there are no hurricanes in St. Louis. <laughs> um, what did they name this one? Nicole. Uh, that frosty bitch. <laughs> <laughs> bitch. <laughs> That's right. Um, I How long is hurricane season last down there? Because I swear it's like nine months. I swear they're like, it starts in September, ends in about June. Uh, I think it's like July to like November, but let's see. What is hurricane season? What hurricane season? Tell me what the dates are. June through November. Week. Week, I say. That's half a year. Yeah, right. Um, That's too long. That's too long. And speaking of too long, an eight-game losing streak. Ian, <laughs> tonight was it, it was the nightmare scenario in some ways to me because I wanted him to lose all night. I did. I didn't. I don't, but I do. But I didn't, obviously, because I didn't. But I do, and I think <laughs> that I'm justified in wanting that. Yeah. They won this game against the Sharks. But what are we going to do? Sit here and pretend that they're saved now that they've won one mildly decent looking game against the next worst team in the league? Like, I don't have to. A lot of times I feel like we're sitting here trying to convince the fan base this team is bad. Whether we're right or wrong about it is <laughs> often we're wrong. But um, I don't feel like we have to do that as much this time. I feel no. like everybody knows we're all on the same page here, right? You're listening to the Two Guys One Cup podcast, which means you are one of the most intelligent and most selective felines in the St. Louis Blues community. Right. You are and so smart about hockey, cats. You, you don't have to waste one of your nine lives listening to us convince you this team's bad. They're not good. They're bad. They're the opposite of good. And that's yeah. fine, but it is what it is. So... What are your thoughts after tonight's victory, if one can call it that? A Pyrrhic victory. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, no one beats the Blues nine times in a row. Nobody. You can't, <laughs> right. you can't beat this team person. nine times in a row. Uh, <laughs> step off. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a historic really- eight-game losing streak. Just for the lulls, I'd like them to rip off like a five-gamer, like a losing streak of five games right after this. <laughs> Just to really like, here's uh, the thing. I really don't want them to win like two or three in a row and people are like, oh, see, right. overreacted. 
Well, like we were talking about before, this team's not this team is not as bad as they've been so far, but they're not as good as they were last season. And I think I think our friend Jeff put it well in our group chat that just because a team regresses to the mean, and in this case means that they uh, you know start winning more games, score more goals, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're better, right? Like mm-hmm. if the bar was three and 79 as a record that's a bad record but now they're going to be four and 78 you're going to like and see they're not three and 79 which means good and it's like no this i'm i'm not convinced when they had a one goal lead three different times this game and allowed it to be tied up against technically an opponent that's should be their equal a three eight and three or now three nine and three sharks team uh you know, I'm. I'll say this. I'll. I'll be positive and say I'm glad they got a win. I think it's good for overall team morale. I thought this maybe got uh, some of the Kyrie haters off Kyrie's back just because he he looked pretty good tonight again. I thought he looked really good against Philadelphia too. Um, but he actually, you know, he scored a power play goal, a really sick like pass on the power play from Bushnevich who looked good too. Like I'm. I'm glad they have confidence. I don't want these dudes to be like shattered and in tears and like us to to ruin them in a, a bad season but um you know and 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 they'll win some games and the fans seemed really happy about it i saw them all cheering and i was like damn this is a loud building <laughs> this is a this is a we just won a, a stanley cup finals game sort of cheer um which you know it's i'm i'm glad that they had some sort of victory at a certain point it does become sort of like just brutal even if you want them to to fail in order to you know get across the rebuild finish line or whatever but <laughs> it's i yeah i worry a little bit that this is going to be people going well you know they look better they put some things together obviously Baruby's already saying he like congratulated them and he's saw a lot of good things in this game and then we play vegas on Saturday and then we play Colorado on Monday and then we play our arch rivals, the Chicago Blackhawks, like the next Thursday. And it's like, I think those could all just be three (laughs) losses again. Um, We are going to get blitzed. I mean, honestly, the thing is, right. Is like, if you, are we in Vegas or are we here? Um, I think we're here. Let's see. I'll look it up. I'm on the I'm on the reliable blues website. Oh yeah. Never the ever reliable NHL. Nope, looks like we're at Vegas. Oh woof. Well, there you go. <laughs> and then at Colorado and then at Chicago. Oh no. But this is the mom's trip, I believe. And you can't oh. fail in front of your mom. No. Well, but if you do, I, she'll kiss your boo-boos. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. At least they won't feel too bad when they lose three in a row. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I just I don't know how you can look at this game tonight um, and think like, well, you know what? Better days ahead. <laughs> I mean, from scrolling through even Twitter, there was lots of comments during the game of people being like, uh, "This looks terrible." <laughs> like they, they definitely had spits and spurts tonight where they look just as bad as all the other eight games. Um, they just so happened to play a mediocre opponent and, and they got some bounces too, but yeah, I don't know how you can look at the season so far, a four and eight season and be like, I think, I think they've turned the corner. Uh, and it's, it's rough, right? Because what else are you supposed to do with this season? Really? 
I know it's only whatever, it's the 10th. We're only like five, six weeks into the season. If we hadn't have won tonight, we wouldn't have won in the last four weeks, which is redonk. I know we don't play as many games every week uh, compared mm-hmm. to some teams, but that's like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that's, I just feel like this game is such a trap game for it's a trap. the people who who want to believe this team still has something to offer. 2019, just, never forget 2019, Steve. <laughs> I just feel like, I mean, it's such a, we played a string of, quality and mediocre quality opponents and look like we didn't even know how to play hockey. I mean, that's the thing that bothers me, I think, the most about all this. Armstrong did his presser at the start of November, right after the Kings lost four four games ago now, counting tonight. Yeah. And for the next three games, we didn't, we looked lifeless. We were outscored 13 to four. And you didn't look like we knew how to play hockey. And one of the things people forget is even the teams like as bad as Arizona win 20 or 30 games a year, you know? So like you can win games and still be really, really bad. And it just feels like I'm beating a dead horse at this point a little bit, but it just feels like that's how this is going to be perceived and, you know, I, I put out a PSA tweet the other day and just said, this team will deceive you at times. They'll win a couple games in a row. You'll start to feel like maybe there's something there. I feel like, and I know it's just November. I know we've seen the impossible before, but I feel like this team has told us pretty conclusively who they are. And they ain't got the horses to get it done, in my opinion. And, you know, I mean, I think even if, even if let's say, even if we rebound enough, to somehow make the playoffs like we certainly don't have the horses to win in the playoffs like mm-hmm. you know so that's where it's like just becomes futile to me and yeah kind of becomes circular reasoning a little bit but i don't know how people don't see that this team kind of like is running on fumes right like we can try and squeeze as much juice out of this team as we possibly can and there, and there's good pieces right even if you do a rebuild or a retool or whatever you call it you're still going to keep guys like thomas and kairu and bushnevich and things like that but like there's so many there's so much like just general dead weight on this team that you need to shed that's stuck here for a long time and you you're not going to be competitive with all of that and you have to at some at some point you just have to reach retool rebuild whatever like every team does and we haven't done that since the late 2000s i know we kind of retooled a bit like between like 2016 and 2018, you know, shedding yeah. Stasny and Shattenkirk and stuff. Yeah, and... I mean, I think I think genuinely that's our last retool. Mm-hmm. And it's not, if there's any distinction between a retool and a rebuild, that's what the distinction is. And I think that's a pretty, pretty significant overhaul of the team in those couple of years. Right. But... And we and we got like Kairu and Thomas, like I think a little bit before that, anyways, but like we haven't really in the last four years, right? We haven't had picks that are like 
just lighting it up in our, our pipeline or, or coming soon or anything like that. It's just like we, at some point, this homegrown talent, you need to have it and we don't have it. And these guys are old and you want to be able to replace them with something and I have to like make a trade or, or whatever. And we just don't have, eventually it just dries up. You become literally like the Penguins or the Capitals where like you're constantly in the playoffs, you're constantly making at least, you know, second round or something like that. You're constantly drafting in the 20s and and in drafts that are, are, aren't deep. And then it's like, well, this is essentially a second rounder or a third rounder. And it's like, you just can't, you just can't constantly do that. I think for a lot of fans, um, it's all about like what's happening today, which is cool. I get that. That's, that's probably how I am with a lot of other sports really. But when it comes to like, if you're thinking about like the health of your team or being competitive for the long run and things like that, it's like being good this year, quote unquote, good and making the playoffs just to get your shit kicked in by the abs because you have no business or, or the wild or Dallas or Winnipeg, who's like eight and three or whatever right now, like you have no business just being in the playoffs. And yeah, I'd much rather not be like, well, we're a team that came in fifth in the division. And then you're getting, you know, it's like, I'd rather we actually do a little bit of a retool. And this is like, the thing is, right. This is the perfect year to do it. It's a deep draft. You have UFAs you can sell off that will actually net you something in O'Reilly and Tarasenko and even Barbashev. Like this is this is a good time to do that. Again, you don't have to rip it down to the studs. I don't even think you can, right? There's some of these studs are stuck here, <laughs> but mm-hmm. like you can do some of this to keep that window open. I think Doug Armstrong's being honest, and I think he's a smart enough guy. I think he's got to be able to see that. Like he's got to be able to see, especially now that there's this is not sustainable. This core will not get it done as assembled and something has to change. The, the annoying thing as a fan, right, is that it's not going to be anything. It's not going to be fast. I think I've said this to a couple of people, IRL, um, that like you can't move any of your big fat bloated contracts because nobody wants those guys and they stink. Um, you're not moving any of your young guys that have potential because why would you do that? And then you can't really trade away Tarasenko or Riley Barbashev yet because teams that might want them don't even really know that they're guaranteed a playoff spot yet and they're not going to waste assets on somebody then, you know, be the Calgary Flames, lose how many games in a row and not make the playoffs. Um, just so as a Blues fan, you just, we, you just have to wait. That's why, like, the moves were getting, like, um, neighbor, or sending neighbors down to Springfield, bringing up Alexandrov, Levo, Tucker, like because those those are the only moves that can be made. Nikita Alexandrov, who we've always said would be better than Jake Neighbors. That's right. We've That's always right. said it. It's our new Torchenko Clem Costin debate. And we were yeah, right about that, by the way. I always wanted right? Alexandrov in tier one of the, the prospect here, but I pushed, I pushed really hard. We were always right about Alexander about uh, Torchenko and we never wavered. That's right. Um, yeah, so as you mentioned, the changes that happened coming into today's game and in two stages, Logan Brown and Robert Bortuzzo were placed on injured reserve. Jake Neighbors was sent down to Springfield. Good fucking riddance. No, I'm kidding. None of this is his fault, but it's not a good environment to be in, honestly, right. if you're a young kid. That was uh, a smart move. Yeah. 
especially, you know, if you come in with higher expectations, Alexandrov and Tucker are coming in with nothing, you know, so um, they get called up and then Josh Levo gets called up. Alexandrov makes his debut today mm-hmm. and Levo, I believe, started on the second pairing or second line. Tucker uh, went to the press box. I assume he'll get a start yeah. here before long, but not tonight. Uh, anything from those guys tonight stand out to you or were they just kind of there? I mean, Alexandro was just kind of there, but I don't think he looked bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Levo, I actually think, looked pretty good with O'Reilly and Saad. I mean, he fed Saad the puck, the primary assist for Saad's goal. Um, that was a really good pass from behind the net. I think Levo looks good in, in spurts. Like, obviously, I don't think you want him slotted up there all the time, but um, gives gives that line, like, a very specific feel, which I think is something, like, O'Reilly definitely needs at this point. I didn't realize O'Reilly um, – let me see. Did he get an assist tonight? He did not. I swear I heard he has zero assists <laughs> this this uh, season so far, like two goals and zero assists. So please help. Please help Ryan O'Reilly. Um, yeah, I thought they looked all right. It's again, that's all you can do at this point is just like move, shuffle the, the chairs up and down from the AHL. I'll, I'll go on a brief tangent here and say that they're there were a couple people on Twitter, so I won't give it too much attention being like, why did we send down Jake Neighbors? Jordan Cairo needs to be the one that gets sent down because he is so bad. And it's like, one, don't send down a guy who's generating your best offensive chances. Even if he's not burying them, I get you can have 100 billion chances in that score and they're useless, but they're obviously going to start going in for him. I thought he looked really good tonight. Um, I think he's he's going to – he of, of anyone on this team is going to turn the corner. But also just, you know – by the rules of the NHL, if you send that dude down, he's got to go through waivers. And guess what? He doesn't make eight point whatever million dollars yet. He makes like two something. Some team's going to pick him up and find a way to fix that shit for the next season. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure these people don't know that, but I'm like, yeah, you can't just send Jordan Kyra down to the AHL just for funsies. Um, they'll yeah. bench him for like 10 games in a row before they send him down to the freaking AHL. Uh, I, yeah. I get that he's the easy scapegoat because he just got a new contract and he's the kid that doesn't look like he's hustling and he's, he's, he's losing the puck here and there and everything. Like I get it. I understand that's the visual and everything. But again, if you look at like the stats and everything, this guy is like our top one, two, three offensive chance generator. Um, You don't, you don't, I don't know. You just let the kid work through that. Like, I think people forget that Tarasenko is also and still is a very streaky scorer. Like, I think everyone's just accepted it now, but they've also like forgotten that people like hated that when he started here too. So that's, that's what happens with kids, you know, that are, that are young like that. So I don't know. It's just been annoying. I think more people are starting to move their crosshairs off of him, but it's just like, man, just give it some time or whatever. Like, everyone's playing like shit and honestly i'm more worried about these older dudes that are making a shit ton of money that are like aging like milk than i am jordan kyer yeah i agree and if to validate our point about the uh fleetingness of an nhl when the coyotes beat the islanders two to nothing tonight so <laughs> um 
Yeah, I just I think uh, I think, you know, where there's no point in talking too much about the games this week because they are what they were after eight straight losses. These stats are five on five. We are 32nd in goals for this is before tonight's game, I assume. Yeah. Uh, 30, 24th in expected goals for 28th in scoring chances for 28th in high danger chances for, which means we're not generating much offense. And what we are generating is from less threatening areas of the ice. And I've heard some people mention like, oh, well, you know, these metrics don't really matter because the blues are trying to, you know, they're not trying to shoot on volume. They're trying to shoot, you know, for the perfect shot. And I have two rebuttals to that. First of all, uh, if you've lost eight games in a row, maybe stop doing what you're trying to do offensively <laughs> and change that. But secondly, I've always hated that kind of mindset from Baruvi. But secondly, um, that would not hamper your high danger chances. Maybe your scoring chances, but that should actually improve your high danger chances um, if you're creating high danger chances lest that need to be spelled out too much. Uh, we've allowed the seventh most high danger chances against We've allowed these 24th most high danger chances. Oh, I'm sorry. We've allowed the seventh fewest high danger chances against. We've allowed the 24th fewest high danger chances, high danger goals against. Sorry, I can't speak. Seventh in chances against, 24th in goals against, which means basically we don't allow a ton of high danger chances, but the ones we do allow go right in the back of the net. You know, so that's uh, on the goaltenders, anyone who wants to say the goalies are totally blameless. Um, they are obviously, you know, mistaken to some degree. And then our PDO, which is a measure of luck, is 956. What's it supposed to be? 990? 1,000? I think, I think one. Yeah, one yeah. is like completely even. So obviously that's 32nd in the league, which means, you know, our luck isn't lucky right now. And we're not probably this bad, but we're not some magically better. And also, you know, as I think any metrician will tell you, some of these stats can look like they're out of whack, but they can just be that way for a whole season, you know? All so, right. I mean, like you can have a team where you're like, well, their their shooting percentage is pretty high. That'll come down. And for the whole season, it just stays there because they played really well, you know, sort of thing. Probably like the Blues last year, quite honestly. So you can say that 32nd in PDO means that we have to bounce back from that. And to an extent, I think that's just true, but it doesn't mean we're going to get to one or even become super lucky at any point. This might just be where it is. I mean, it's a combination. I think of like your, your um, shooting percentage and your save percentage. So it's like, you could just have a shitty shooting percentage all season, have an okay save percentage on your team. And that just means you're going to have a crappy PDO. Um, yeah, they, like, I just, other than the eye test of watching this team and seeing them fall apart time after time after time, like, I thought they looked okay in that Bruins game and then the Philly game, it was like, nope, here's the, the wheels falling off right again. Um, and even in the game tonight, they looked like there was a couple of chances for that to happen as well, but they didn't completely fall off. Um, but yeah, but if, if the eye test wasn't enough for you, those stats are pretty damning. Like, it's just everything for this team is going wrong. So maybe just having that win and getting a little confidence might get them to shake off some of that, uh, some of the monkeys off their back there, and we'll see what happens on on Saturday. But, like, I need 
I need some more wins, if not only so that I don't have to hear these nonstop quotes from Baruby and these guys saying they got to play harder <laughs> and they've got mental mistakes and need more compete and everything. I was just like, I know they they can't say anything else because they're not trained to, but it's like, then just don't say anything. It's like so agonizing to hear that every night where it's just like, oh, we we don't have the answers. If I had the answer, I'd tell you. I'm also kind of like, eh, if you had the answer, you wouldn't tell me because you're like a weird uh, hockey player man hockey like, guy. doesn't know yeah. it'll be like we keep that we keep that in the room it's all about the room um and like and we talked about this last week too but like when the whole team looks out of whack you got to blame the coach and the coaching staff a little bit right like the if the whole team looks like shit you can't just be like well everyone is terrible now and they're mm-hmm. all being terrible at the exact same time i mean i know like a shitty team overall can drag down some better performances but like some of that code, I think that's what annoys me is like, I know Ruby's not going to share his, his coaching strategy with the media or with the fans, but it's like his whole thing is always like, Oh yeah, I thought they looked pretty good for the first 10 minutes. Then we just kind of got away from it. And I'm like, how about we work on not getting away from it? How about we work on <laughs> sticking with it? And, you know, that's on the players and everything. But I think when everyone sucks, I think that's everyone's accountable at that point. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's kind of mind blowing. Like I'm, I'm kind of blown away that there isn't like a locker room problem or like that hasn't been like talked about or, or brought up or anything. I mean, I think the media has asked players about that and they've always been like, Oh no, we're super tight and everything, but you know, it just matters what's going on the ice and not off the ice. And it's like, I'm just surprised for an eight game losing streak for as bad as they look, there wasn't some weird side thing of like, yeah, Braden Shen like threw something at Jordan, you know, sort of thing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, here we go. So, I mean, I guess that's good if you're, if you're looking for the positive, but I'm just blown away that like this whole time they've been losing, it's just been like literally all of them shrugging and be like, I don't know. Like, really? I don't know. I just wonder, is that what's going to be like all season every time they're on like a four game lose? So what is it now? I don't know. <laughs> I've never known. Uh, yeah. This is when I, I wish we had Tortorella just because at least that guy might actually answer that question. <laughs> you know what he'd say, Ian? Oh, no. He'd stand up and say, you know what? No. <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> that's probably oh, what he told man. Philly when he walked in. That's why they're playing better. So he told Carter yeah. Hart. That's right. Now Carter Hart's a Vesna candidate. <laughs> I saw someone, somebody with a moderately meaningful hockey account today say Carter Hart's the Hart Trophy front runner. And I said, I replied, uh, Connor McDavid literally exists, dude. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. No, Carter Hart helping the pathetic flyers be like seven, five and two does not make him a Hart Trophy finalist. Right. Um, I, I was looking at stuff the other day for like, you know, how the, the dead, I don't know, not the deadline. What is it? The, the sort of like statistical cutoff has always been like American Thanksgiving. Why do I say that? I'm so sorry, everyone. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, <laughs> Thanksgiving, freedom, Thanksgiving, um, for basically like 77% of like the teams that are in the playoffs at that point in the season or in a playoff spot, we'll make the playoffs and, you know, vice versa, 77 mm-hmm. or whatever percent. 
not in the playoffs and won't make it either. Um, and we can kind of extend that to the, what, the end of December because we started like a, a week later. So, so I was looking at our schedule um, and now we've, we've beaten San Jose. So we only have 10 games left in the month of November. Like you said, at Vegas, at Colorado, at Chicago, then versus Washington, Anaheim and Anaheim again, then at Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Florida, and then versus Dallas. And I was doing like just quick math where I was looking at Calgary. Quick math. Calgary at the time that I looked at this like two days ago, they were the last wildcard spot in the West and they had like 12 points or something. And I said, well, let's just say they go 500. Let's say they get an additional like 10 points by the end of the month. So that's like 22 points. And I was like, how do we get to 22 points? Well, we would now have to go, I believe the number would be seven and three essentially Mm -hmm. and that's impossible (laughs) it's not you know it's not impossible it's improbable i don't see us getting seven wins off against the any of these like 10 teams or whatever like it's just it's going to be hard so we're looking like we're probably going to be outside of that that uh playoff spot come the beginning of december and that does not bode well for our chances, right? Um, you got to hope this team that's looked lifeless and listless, even in this win, can turn it around and just start rattling off wins, just right and left, <laughs> to even to even get back in just like a wild card spot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's 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 the period on it, right? That's the exclamation mark of just being like, don't <laughs> don't bother, just don't. <laughs> don't bother in fact go the other way head the other way for a little bit like there's teams that are are like the boston bruins and like the who am i trying to think of um there's another team colorado avalanche that like looked good and then the next season or two they actually look kind of bad and they Mm -hmm. restocked they did like a quick retool and then like the bruins were in the final in 2013 kind of stunk in the middle of the 2010s and then they were back in the final in 2019 colorado was actually halfway decent then they sucked ass in 2013 and then they got nathan mckinnon like and then they they bounced back pretty quick after that too at least being a competitive team so it's like you don't have to like just this team doesn't have to suffer for years and years and years for them to get significantly better but Mm -hmm. it's like you have to pick your spots right like you just can't for sure you just cannot be competitive for like Doug Armstrong trying to be like 15 years running unless you have like fucking Sidney Crosby and you're constantly finding freaking baby fart McGee's axe to put next to him or whatever who can mm-hmm. score like 40 goals. Well, it's also like I don't think it should be controversial for this team. It's so weird to me. We just do not talk about as often as a fan base that period where we were, you know, what you just mentioned, where they did do the retool for two years. Back is left, Brower left, you know, Oshi and and a lot of those other guys that defined that generation had already left. Mm-hmm. We had a very young Pareko and very young Edmondson at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Brian Elliott had been traded, you know, and or was traded that summer or something and you know you bring in Perron you trade for Shin you trade for O'Reilly you bring up Robert Thomas eventually Jordan Cairo um 
you know, obviously the Bennington element is a bit of a wild card there, but like you have a completely different team from 2016 when we get to the conference final to 2019 when we obviously win the cup, you know, you have a totally different team. And then admittedly, we have a totally different team from then until now too, pretty much. What did you say last time? Like six or seven guys that have carried over. Yeah, pretty Um, much. So that is a process that you have to go through. Every team goes through it. Every team has roster turnover. If your roster isn't turning over, you're not healthy or you have a big stars, you know, like the Bruins roster hasn't turned over in, in a fortnight, I dare say, but that's because they have a solid core of guys that are really, really good. And uh, also, I don't know if you noticed this, but the Bruins haven't actually won anything in 15 years or 10 years or however long it's been now, you know? So like, it's great that Trace Bergeron has had this incredible career, Marchand and, and Pasternak, but if you really want to get, to the top, you're going to have to recycle sometimes. You're going to see the, you know, uh, lightning start to fall off in a couple of years because that's just how hockey works. These guys will age out of their prime and then they'll have a lot of old contracts and they'll have to recycle their team and they'll have to get better. The lightning up until recently have done a pretty good job of, of doing things like the McDonough trade and, and, you know, clearing out guys when they have an opportunity the Blues have not done a good job of that. They've committed to the wrong guys. I think that's pretty obvious right now. I think, you know, whether keeping Petrangelo would have been correct or not, I think committing to Falk, Shin, and per Falk, Shin, and Pareko, Falk, Krug, and Pareko was obviously wrong. And, you know, I would rather have one guy on a really bad contract than three on pretty bad contracts, probably, you know. Um, and I think it's natural that we rebuild. I just think it's the shock to the system of how this one came about that probably has people rattled. But, you know, I was just looking at it for fun. Three of the teams that barely missed the playoffs last year, the teams that were just on the other side of the bubble, lost 32 games in regulation last year. We've lost... 25% of that. We've lost one fourth of that. <laughs> and we're not even a fourth of the way through the season. Now, obviously, that's a, you know, you can't really do anything with that step. But, you know, I think people who want to want to silver lining this whole thing will try to say, well, it's early still. It's only a part of the season. It's only one bad slump. Maybe that's true. If they return to playing 600 hockey the rest of the season, then it will be a bad slump by the end of the season. But like you said, just how likely is that? And again, you have to fundamentally believe it's a different team than we've seen. And obviously neither you or I do. They're not as bad a team, but they're just not the same. You know, they're just not that team that they've been for a few years. It's hard to pin down why. One thing we haven't talked about enough um, probably is I just don't think uh, Jordan Bennington's all that good a goalie. I I hate saying that because of what he did for the team, and you know that makes him probably more beloved and um, right. you know gets more of a break from some people. 
he's been fine ish but it, you know i don't i don't know yeah. it's just i mean he's been he's been all right especially given the fact that we've like been giving up grade a scoring chances and stuff i don't think there's there was a soft boy let in against boston but again we were, we're already down like 2-1 we only scored one goal so like a lot of these games right we're barely scoring at all anyways so i'm like uh we're not really helping them out either way um yeah i was looking at this this reddit thread that someone put together they've got a username what was this minor threat 21 about how the st louis blues are the only team that has not made a selection in the top 15 uh since or top 15 picks since 2010 uh the buffalo sabers have made the most with 13 then pittsburgh's only made one washington's only made two Vegas three Kraken two obviously and stuff like that but it's like it's crazy which by the way is a testament to our incredible success yeah that's what I mean I'm like that's like patch yourself on the back that's amazing it's just like one of those things where it's like eventually your luck's gonna just run out like and that's that's just life this top comment from a guy born six months after me according to 10 1991 being part of his handle uh I'm 31, and in my lifetime, the Blues have had two picks in the top 10. They were Eric Johnson and Alex Petrangelo. Um, If really, if this is obviously, you know, the start of a rebuilding process, I don't know how long it is, how painful it is, but there will need to be a time where we look backwards and admit how impressive it is that Doug Armstrong, without ever really having a star, without having anyone close to a star, if you look at the team's, that have won a Stanley Cup in the last decade plus. Every single one of them has two players you'd take before any player on the 2019 boys, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe three. <laughs> a lot of them, you know, you'd obviously take Crosby and Malkin over any of those guys. You'd take, I would say, four or five guys on the Avalanche over any of those guys, probably three or four guys on the Lightning over any of those guys. Um, with respect to O'Reilly and, and Petrangelo and all the guys that made that successful, we just didn't have stars. We have never been a star-laden team. I mean, dating back to when Hall left, basically, we really have not had a franchise-defining star since then. Um, and, you know, until we have Connor Bedard next year, we're not going to have a star. Um, so there does deserve to be a lot of credit here for Doug Armstrong, whatever the future holds, you know, he's been incredibly successful over the last decade plus, and he deserves credit for that. Uh, So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying any of this, like it's a failure. I think some of it is just natural that it happens. And I think that if you admit that it happened and you get out ahead of it, you s- delay your suffering a lot more, which is why I am glad to see that he immediately um, immediately, you know, kind of admitted to, hey, we might need to do this thing over again, because that shows me he's in a mindset already that he, you know, recognizes this may be a bigger problem. Yeah. And it shows me he has the blessing of ownership to think in that direction, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
One thing I thought was interesting, I don't know if you read this article uh, here, I'll throw it in the show notes for you to look at if you haven't, but um, Rutherford JR did an article where he asked Dom LeCision and Sean Gentile about the team. And Sean looked at the uh, players that the Blues have under long-term contracts and who might be traded. And I actually thought it was a lot more positive than I would think. I would say almost no players on our long-term contracts could get traded. Uh, But he kind of said basically everybody could. He had Braden Shen. uh, He said, I'd take Shen on my hockey team, but I won't take him on that number at that term. Um, And he definitely wouldn't this season. But he says if St. Louis could work around the full no-trade clause, then retain a bit of salary, maybe an in-season move would be more palatable. Otherwise, this would be one to revisit in the summer. As the cap increases, interest in players like Shin, still productive on the back end of their prime, signed a little too long for a little too much, will increase too, uh, which is a theme here. And we do need to remember that cap reality because $6.5 million years contracts in three or four years are not going to seem that big. And that's, they're still going to be for players that might not be contributing here and might still be a net negative, but a net negative at 4% of the cap or, you know, 6% of the cap or whatever that would be is a lot different from a net negative at nine or 10% of the cap. Um, He said, obviously, Buchnevich could be traded. He said, if they're hell bent on, he's a good bet to get it together and thus a good player to hold on to. Uh, If they're hell bent on moving out everyone, he'd have a ton of value. Uh, that's no surprise. He also said, I can see Saad finding Brandon Saad finding a buyer pretty much any time on his contract. Uh, he said Jordan Cairo obviously would be tradable and Robert Thomas would be, but you keep both of those guys. He said we're a couple years away from players like Thomas costing $11 million a season, which I think is good. Um, for Falk, he says... Uh, as it stands, I'm not sure whether the contract helps the Blues or hurts them, but it certainly could be worse if Armstrong decides to get crazy. I'd call Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators like now. Here's your top four right shot. Uh, for Krug, he said, uh, if Armstrong is committed to a rebuild and were to have a pr- prospective deal on the table for Krug, I'd do it tomorrow. Uh, again, though, the full no trade thing is a problem. So Krug is the one he probably seemed lowest on in a way. And then Pareko is actually someone he's really high on. He said, it's too early to draw a ton of conclusions on whether his game has appreciably changed, but he's still easy to buy as a win-now guy with an enticing skill set. The deal probably won't age well. Last season was a little concerning on that front, but he were he to hit the market, Armstrong's phone would be ringing. I'd be fine with him at that number for a few years, especially if I was gunning for a title. Worry about 2028 in 2028. And that's the one that I think is most interesting because honestly, Pareko is the one I'd probably get rid of first. I mean, I'd get rid of Krug first. I just think that's almost impossible at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was it him? Somebody talked about, somebody talked, well, maybe it was just somebody on Twitter mentioning us, but somebody made the point of like Pareko is not allowed being allowed to be the player that he was when he was successful and that Krug 
you know, they keep trying to pair him with puck movers on the left side, but what he really needs is actually a lockdown guy so that he can be more of a puck mover um, and skate around the ice. And I thought there was actually some wisdom there. I can't remember. I think that might've just been on Twitter. If you're out there listening to this, I'm so sorry. Um, but, very wise. Yeah. But I did think it was a really interesting point because obviously Bo Meester was not the puck mover. He was a lockdown, shutdown you know, rangy, slow, well, not slow. He was actually a very good skater, but rangy veteran defenseman. And Pareko was the guy responsible for carrying the puck on that pairing. I, I think that's a really wise point. You know, I think mm-hmm. I think they maybe made the mistake of thinking, well, pr- because Pareko doesn't produce offensively, he needs an offensive defenseman with him. But maybe that's just not what that line is for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um for Nick Weddy, he said, is that too much to pay Nick Weddy? Yeah, but Armstrong was stuck between a rock and a hard place on that one. He really wasn't. He just shouldn't have paid Nick Weddy. That was an <laughs> obvious mistake. Uh, he should be trying to get out of that. this one, though. Weddy is a top four defenseman on the Blues, but not on many other contenders. Now, NHL GMs always love defensemen who can state, and Weddy has been on good teams before. I'd find the best deal possible without retaining salary and hope Weddy is okay with the destination. Um and then for Bennington, he said, if Matt Murray got traded, anything is possible. Uh, he said something about Murray. The Leafs were desperate. As good as Bennington has been going back to last season's playoffs, I don't think there's much of an option here for Armstrong other than hoping that Bennington keeps it together and perhaps revisiting in the topic in a couple of years. The Leafs will probably be looking for a goalie in 2025, too. I like that he closed an article about the Blues by taking a shot at the Leafs. That makes me happy. Um, I didn't even notice that first last time. So, you know, he paints a way rosier picture of it than I think I would have painted, um, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts after all of that that I just read, but I'm I'm surprised. I mean, I guess I'm shouldn't be too surprised that Pareko would gather some interest right um and actually seems like someone that could be moved i mean you might obviously re- retain something or do like a three-way trade or whatever but i'm, I'm still surprised by that i mean yeah. there's 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 moves that can be made i just think that armstrong's them to get creative and thankfully he's a relatively creative guy um but it's just gonna take yeah, it's going to take some creativity. Yeah, and that's the reality with this team now. And, you know, I don't think we have to beat a dead horse today um, because we have talked about this team a lot lately. But uh, I think I think this is a team that's in a weird place and we just have to kind of wait and see. And we might have to wait and see all season. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to know pretty quick here. I do think, I do think we're going to know almost immediately if there's any chance of this team, you know, actually being a, of this eight games, actually being a skid and this team rebounding these next three or four games are going to be crucible enough. You know, we have, let's just look at it. This before Thanksgiving, we have the blues, the avalanche, the Blackhawks, the Capitals, the Ducks, and the Ducks, and the Sabres. Uh, that was seven games, I think I just said, seven games until Thanksgiving. If we go 
even four out of three in that time, it's not good enough. We have to go five out of two. We're not gonna, cause we're going to lose the next two. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I hate to be, I hate to be negative. I mean, I hate to be needlessly negative, but I think I'm just being realistic. We go to Thanksgiving break. This month is brutal. It will be too big a hole for us to dig out of by the end of it. I just think that's the reality. If it's not, if I'm wrong, great. Then maybe we have a fun hockey team to watch and cheer for this season and we can kick the can down the road on some of the rebuild questions. But I just think I really believe this time is the time that it's actually a team that's bad, fundamentally <laughs> not good enough. The goaltending's not good enough. The defense isn't good enough. The offense isn't going to score last year um, like it did, like it needed to, to keep us over the top. Uh, Dom, which I hate to say, uh, actually had a really good line in here. Let me see if I can find it. Uh <clears throat> let me see let me see let me see somewhere uh, no, no, somewhere i'll find it i'll find it. <laughs> he's reading he's reading he's reading oh here it is last season's team had two things going for it it outscored its problems at five on five and it had an ex- excellent special teams right now this team is doing neither at five on five the blues had a 49 percent expected goals rate last year and scored 54% of the goals. This team has strong finishers, so an uptick over expected was to be well expected. They are scoring on 5.7% of their shots rather than 10.3%. Last season's number was a bit too high, but this season's have been way too low. They will regress, especially if they keep creating a similar amount of chances. By the way, regression to the mean when it's positive is always like when you get a test result back and it's negative to me, you know, and you're like, wait, that's not good. And then I'm like, oh, no, no, it is good. (laughs) Um, But he says the bigger issue is on defense. Teams problems have cascaded going from 2.6 XGA per 60 to 2.85. That means their expected goals percentage is a bit worse than last season, slightly below average number now sitting at 46%. Only this time, the percentages aren't there. Last season, St. Louis was five percentage points above expected. This season to start, the Blues are 12% below. On this team, that won't last, not to this degree anyway. What we're, we're getting is a fuller picture of what this team should be dating back to last season. Over 92 games, St. Louis is at 4, 52% of the goals rather than 54 uh, so what's wrong here, everything, and that shows with the old ice t- eye test where this team has seemingly lost its swagger in every area of the ice. The good news is we know that this team has the talent to turn it around and it's not too late to do so. The 2018-19 team had a 10% playoff odd at its lowest point for the record. We were, we're at 12 right now, according to this article. The bad news, the models might have been right that it's not as much talent as many figured. So while it might not be too late, this team is running out of time quicker than anybody ever would have imagined, even the most pessimistic critics. And he can say that as the most pessimistic critic. <laughs> he is that man. That's right. Um, so that's enough blues talk, I think, for one night. Uh, some stuff has gone down in the NHL I'm sure the Senators, the Devils have won eight straight, by the way. So I know, they're yeah. Opposite, they're the anti-Blues. <laughs> um, Columbus is shockingly bad, and now Zach Wawrinski is hurt uh, badly. The coach said it's not good news. It's really, really not good news or something like that. Oh, so that's my, great. my uh, fantasy team is in shambles. <laughs> yeah. 
my heart goes out to them. P.K. Subban signed uh, as a ESPN analyst, as we all knew he would sign somewhere. Sick. I didn't know it was ESPN. <clears throat> I do think we should talk briefly, Ian, about the the Mitchell Miller uh, situation yeah. because uh, it's. I just don't understand how Don Sweeney still has a job. I really, I fundamentally cannot fathom why he still has a job. This was, this was the worst botch job of anything I've ever seen in the history of the NHL. And that's shocking. <laughs> honestly, it's just, that says a not, lot. things have probably been botched worse, but, and I don't mean this to minimize anything. Let me be very clear about what I'm going to say, but like, Nothing with lower stakes has ever been botched so badly. You know, this kid originally was a 111th overall draft pick. It's not like he was some top 15 pick, you know, he may have had a very good junior career and maybe, you know, it's one of those situations where it's like, yeah, well, if we redrafted, he would have gone 14th, but like he was not a top draft pick. He uh, you know, I'm not going to recount it, recount it here. I don't even know all the stories I read about him one time and pushed them out of my mind, but he was the perpetrator of horrific abuse against mm-hmm. uh, a, I believe, a handicapped person, right? Correct, and, yeah. Or mentally, you know, whatever the proper terminology is. Um, and uh, he got rightfully punished for it by the Coyotes. And listen, I'm I'm conflicted at times because I don't fundamentally believe that a mistakes you make as a seventh grader should be held against you for your entire life necessarily. And, you know, before anyone says, well, it was really, really bad. I know it was really, really bad, but also if you commit murder in seventh grade, you're also not in prison for life, you know? So like there's gotta be some, some understanding there, but the Bruins did nothing to prove that this kid had changed. He's done nothing in particular to prove that he's changed. And the whole story, you, you know, you can fill in some of the blanks, I'm sure, because I've, I actually honestly kind of only re- read about it in passing. I haven't done any like deep dive articles because it just infuriated me so much. But basically what happened is the Bruins announced out of nowhere that they had signed Mitchell Miller. Who was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if anyone doesn't know, he was a 2020 111th overall pick of the Arizona Coyotes. The Coyotes discovered that they, um, that he had this heinous history of abuse. Maybe they should have discovered that before then. I don't know, but they disavowed the pick or whatever the official terminology is. They basically said, please don't, please don't be in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> and which is pretty said, low. <laughs> this is pretty bad. And, uh, you know, he got out of town. And then like a week ago about roughly the Bruins said, you know, we've just signed Mitchell Miller with no warning. Nobody knew. And then it slowly trickled out that, you know, Sweeney, Don Sweeney, the GM of the Bruins made some excuses about, oh, we, you know, we believe he's changed. But then he, right from the very beginning, wasn't he also making statements like this could be a huge mistake. Oh my, yeah, I, I think he was. Should be in question. He was pretty much already covering his ass. Where like, yeah, 
he was already like, I don't even know if this is like the right move or whatever. Uh-huh. And then Which is the weirdest thing. Yeah, I was like, so then don't, yeah, I was like, so then just don't make it. Like, are you that, are you, I know the Bruins have like a really bad pipeline, um, prospect pipeline, but are you really that desperate for a guy that was like a fourth rounder talent? And like, it's just, I don't understand. Well, yes, I think that's part of the Well, so I think they liked him and supposedly the theory goes that they signed him the day before they played the Leafs in Toronto so this is like a bad look if they knew who he was, because that means you're going to get like the circus, the media circus in Toronto all asking you about this. Mm-hmm. So they're like, why would they make the signing now? Why not do it like, you know, days later after they play Toronto? Well, the theory is that there were multiple teams that wanted to sign Mitchell Miller, Mitchell Miller and that the Bruins got wind of this or heard this. Like, well, we got to pounce on this guy. And then, you know, we just were being forced to, to take him right now. Mm-hmm. Um something that could be hearsay or whatever but it's just like i believe that um but then they yeah they they said they like they research i don't know they basically i swear they said they're like yeah uh we've we've looked into it and we've done this that and the other to like get some background on this and then when they were like really confronted about it and they decided to you know to relinquish him they were like oh yeah we we should have done a lot more homework and everything I'm like so you didn't do any of that stuff all the <laughs> stuff you said you did you didn't do so you just fucking lied um and on top of this too i think mitchell miller like made a statement through his agent that like oh he's reached out to uh the victim and they've you know they've they've talked a lot and they're gonna meet in detroit where the victim lives and you know just talk things over and um yeah his agent was really trying to paint this like oh they were actually kind of friends and like sometimes and like and all this other stuff and it was just like uh, the the victim is also black and so the guys this guy Mitchell Miller called him like the n-word and stuff and then this so this is what was I'm sorry I'm not laughing but it's just like you could not make a more heinous situation (laughs) well like get violently and racially bullied a black mentally you know yeah challenged kid well so that was the other thing so we're trying to make excuses for but well in this interview too with the with the the um agent he was also like trying to do this weird thing of like well you know um the victim you know we we're not really sure like you know what's what's going on with him mentally really you know it's it's he lives on his own though now and he he has a child so like you know we it's it sort of is, you know, it is what it is sort of thing. I'm like, are you trying to like minimize oh, yeah, how mentally disabled he may or may yeah. not be? By the way, by the way, um, it's not our place, but could the Cameron Strick podcast stop being a platform for all of the worst people in the United States? Stop being, stop. You don't have to be the other, the other side. Sometimes that's, that's okay if you have like equal, I don't know, if you have like, equally equal sides i don't know what you say uh-huh. you know you're like oh yeah but some people they have people on there that are like bullies and like just like tony d'angelo tony yeah. d'angelo and freaking like these people where i'm like we don't need like you you don't need this we don't need to hear like i think yeah. the uh, here's here's my problem with it 
you can have those people on, but maybe ask them like relevant questions or like harder questions. Challenge and so them just really pitching these softball shit where they're just like, ah, he's one of the boys. Yeah. I mean, that was the annoying thing with this agent too, is like they're minimizing um like what's going on with the victim. They're trying to paint him that he was like the f- friend with with Mitchell Miller. And it's just like none of this is true. And then Mitchell Miller has like a statement that they they had to edit here and there for what he said but like, like generally it was his own words that basically were like we were never friends um he did they he basically detailed what he what happened like what they did to him like like repeatedly punching him in the head on the school bus for like years and all this other stuff and i'm like holy shit man like it sounds like freaking terrible and the thing <laughs> is like you said if you're seriously remorseful and you put in the work and you do all this other stuff because like you know as i hate when people say well everyone does stupid things when they're young and i'm like yeah they like ride their bike and try and stand on it or they like Mm -hmm. are like let me see if i can do a cartwheel down the steps or i don't know just like dumb or like i wonder what being zapped by electricity feels like like pretty dumb stuff but like that they're not like hey i'm real i'm a real stupid kid let me just punch this kid in the head relentlessly for years on end like and i think um jesse blake made a really good point on like the steve dangle podcast where it was like i do i do feel some remorse for mitchell miller if not only because he was 14 he did these things i'm sure he was confronted by authority of some kind i'm sure his parents were told and that like he still felt enabled to do this right like if he had like i don't i don't want to go too hard onto it but like if he had like decent parents or like teachers or whatever around him to like put him on the right path maybe he is on that path to like forgiveness or remorse and stuff but it's like there was seems like there was zero structure around him to get him to learn that this is wrong other than people being like this is wrong don't do it and then like just turning around you know repeatedly so I just, if you are, if you truly do all that work and you truly feel remorseful, then I think there's a, a path forward for you. But from what it sounds like, like he's, I don't know, there, there was like a judge. They had a whole like hearing and this judge recently or within the last, I don't know how many years was like, literally has a statement written or like, you know, it's written now, but he like said to Mitchell Miller, like, I don't think you're sorry. Like, I think you say you're sorry to get this over with, but I just mm-hmm. don't sense any remorse from you. And there was another kid that bullied this victim and he, he did apologize and he did put work in and like the parents of uh, the victim were like, yeah, we truly believe he was sorry. And like, we've, we've set our peace to him, forgiven him and everything. That's all we're looking for from, um miller and we haven't ever gotten it and he's just pissed that he's like this has affected his hockey like his parents are pissed and supposedly people are like dming them all the time and saying like you ruined this kid's life and everything and it's like i don't think they're asking for that much and honestly like when you're that much of an asshole for like that long i don't know like this is i i don't know man at a certain point too i'm like is your life ruined you're not in the nhl guess what I'm not in the NHL. My life's pretty <laughs> fine. Like, I know it sucks. I get that's your dream and stuff. But, like, he was playing in the USHL. Like, you can play. I honestly think he could have played in other places. And I think the Bruins signing him just, like, reopened this wound. And it's like, oh, hey, by the way, if you want to go play anywhere else, everyone just was remembered, like, just reminded, like, what a shitty human being you are. And now you can't. But yeah. you might have. 
I, I don't believe when like um, Adam and, and Steve on the podcast were like, oh, he can't even play in Europe. I'm like, ah, you can play in Europe. If the kid wants to go play in Europe, I'm sure he can play in Europe. Like, mm -hmm. that's the thing is like, I'm, there are opportunities. The KHL is out there. Yeah, there are opportunities out there. I get it's not the NHL. I get it's harder language barrier, whatever. But like, your life's not over. And I'd say, honestly, that's you're, you're getting it pretty good then. Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like, you just have to, the, you don't even need to necessarily be forgiven, right? I don't think it's the victim has to forgive you. And you might just have to live with that. But like, if you, if they can be honest with themselves and try and put their best foot forward, there's a path for that. But it just, from what it sounds like, that's, that's not been the case. Yeah. Yep. And I just think, um, in addition to everything else, I'll, you know, I'll say this good job by the NHL, especially with the Bruins. We know oh, yeah. the NHL outright is afraid of Jeremy Jacobs. So good of them to just come out and say, uh, you know, if we didn't approve this. We weren't notified about this. Mitchell Miller is not eligible. I think they basically said Mitchell Miller is not eligible to play in the NHL right now, and he may never be. Um, right. Yeah, Gary Bettman took a pretty hard stance on this, which I was kind of surprised by. Yeah. A pretty hard stance that was that was in the right. Yeah. That's, that's I guess a, I'm that's not really surprised. Yeah. Makes hard stances that are shitty. Yeah. Um, but then also, uh, I think the worst part about this, well, no, this isn't the worst part, but I think the most comically bad part about this was the fact that Don Sweeney put his team, which was an absolute vibes team to begin with. They oh, were yeah. what, nine and one, 10 and one when this happened um, in the position where Patrice Bergeron had to publicly come out and say Patrice Bergeron, who has never said no to a glass of like spoiled milk if the Bruins wanted him to, you know, he had to come out and basically publicly disavow this while the team was still trying to do it and basically say, we said this was a bad idea. I still think it's a bad idea, you know, and mm -hmm. you have, here's the thing. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to give you the path to having Mitchell Miller in the NHL, but if this was something you really wanted to do, there's a way to do it. And what you have to have is you have to get, go get guys like Patrice Bergeron on board first and then have them come out with this kid and say, look, I didn't believe in this kid. I didn't think he wanted better, but now he's, I've met him and I'm putting my reputation on the line that he's really changed. He's a different person and he's going to pay his dues and try to make the NHL. You know, you could do that and people would still complain. People wouldn't like it, but there would be a path there. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't do that, did they? they <laughs> uh, most people, when they try to sign an unwanted prospect in the NHL, would have a plan. But uh, you didn't do that, did you? They botched this from stem to stern, soup, soup to nuts. It was so bad, and I think uh, it deserves a lot of mockery, which we've given it. So, Ian, I know you have a lot to do. You're traveling to Florida in the uh, near future. Um, so, did I say Florida, Hawaii? Did. 
It it's the same. Be, would that you were traveling to Florida in the near future, and everyone misses you. Everyone near, here misses you. In the near in future, the, it will be in the near future. Yeah, that's true. It's not too distant future. So uh, we'll go ahead and cut it off there for the night because it's been a you know a decently long episode already. So what do you bloodthirsty Cretans want? The Blues have, alone. The Blues have Vegas, Colorado, and Chicago. Um, did and then. Washington and Anaheim twice, uh, both home, which yeah, is weird. That's weird. When do you get back from Hawaii? Uh, the 21st. Okay. So we probably won't record until after that. Maybe that Tuesday we can record one or yeah. that Wednesday night after the Sabres game. Oh, if we yeah. watch that together, I'll be in town for either of those dates. So we can go postal um, live. I think that's good. I think this is actually a good place to have a break because we'll know we'll really know about this team by the end of that five game stretch yeah the worst things what are this five game stretch what are we we're four and eight the worst would be if we three the worst would be if we uh no we make ourselves 500 we go four oh and one and then we're like okay now we're eight eight and one Uh uh-huh we're like yeah but look how good we are like oh boy we're not that good you're not a gal uh yes (laughs) I agree. That would be terrible. So it's exactly what will happen. But until it happens, Ian, aloha to you and to the people watching at home, listening at home. Have a great evening. Mahalo. I was little, I was weak and perfectly naive. And I grew up too quick. Now you won't see all that I have to lose and all I I won't let you in I swear never again I can't afford, no, I refuse to be rejected I wanna break these bones till they're better I wanna break them right and feel alive You were wrong, you were wrong, you were I see fragile things, helpless things, broken